1: The mystic, Julian of Norwich, lived in the Middle Ages from 1342 to 1415, and for the most part lived in a small cell that was attached to a church in Norwich, England. She lived in the time when the Black Plague decimated one half of the European population, but she never lost hope in humanity or her joy in divine presence. Even though she didn't leave her small and simple enclosure, she was very much in touch with the comings and goings of the community. Her simple room had a window that faced the street and a busy river beyond. Community members would ask her for advice and spiritual sustenance. And she wrote and passionately contemplated What lies deeper in the human soul and what might come after the darkness? Today, we'll be exploring the spiritual vaccine she has to offer to us in these challenging times of fear and uncertainty with our guest, Father Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox is a priest and was a member of the Dominican Order of the Catholic Church for 34 years and was silenced for a year and later expelled from the Dominican Order under the papacies of John Paul II and Benedict XVI. He then joined the Episcopal Church to work with young people to create postmodern forms of ritual and worship known as the Cosmic Mass. He is the co-founder of the Order of the Sacred Earth. Matthew Fox is a co-author of Order of the Sacred Earth, an intergenerational vision of love and action, and the author of more than 30 books, including books with the mystics that speak through the ages into these threshold times, such as Original Blessing, Hildegard of Bingen, Meister Eckhart, The Tao of Thomas Aquinas, and Julian of Norwich, wisdom in a time of pandemic and beyond. Join us for the next hours. We explore the life and wisdom of the mystic Julian of Norwich, with our guest Father Matthew Fox. I'm speaking with Matthew Fox from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis Tom's. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions, Matthew. Welcome.
2: Thank you Justine. It's wonderful to be back.
1: It's wonderful to have you back. I just so much enjoy all of our conversations. I I learned so much uh, from you and and your your immersion into the history of our of divine presence in our lives and and the mystics especially. And um I'm going to go back like here we are. We're talking about Julian this time of uh, Norwich and and her time in history. So, I know that you actually visited her cell there in Norwich. So, uh, tell us about her time in history.
2: Well, as you pointed out, she lived through the most dreadful bubonic plague that killed, as you said, one out of two or one out of three um, humans at the time, and. Um, At the age of 30, she had a near-death experience. And then um, uh, in a period of a couple of days, she had very uh, profound visions uh, that began with the suffering of Christ on the cross. But she emphasized how really this is about all human suffering, that we all suffer, and that uh, Christ was an example. And um, so clearly she's starting from that viewpoint of not, denying uh, the suffering in life is certainly the suffering in a time of pandemic. But then she moves on and her, her basic teaching is actually about goodness um, and about finding the goodness in all things. And and she defines God that was so is God is the goodness in nature, she says. God is a goodness in nature. Now, at this time of her living, People were freaking out because, of course, they had no science in the said. They didn't know where this plague was coming from. There was no vaccines on the horizon, of course. And so, for example, there were these flagellation clubs, I call them, where men went around uh, beating themselves. Uh, they would try to go to three villages in a day, flagellating themselves because they said, obviously, the reason for the plague is their sins. And so God is punishing them. And it became so popular to do that that the Pope had to intervene and say, you know, chill, this isn't gonna make the the pandemic go away. So, and then there was a lot of um, blame, scapegoating of others, a great great amount of anti-Semitism rose and many Jews fled England because of that and went to the continent. But there's not an ounce of that in Julian. She stayed absolutely grounded. And uh, here she wrote the first book ever by, by a woman in English, first book in English but it wasn't published for 300 years after she died. So I, I say that's a long time to wait for your first book review. There was no Justine Toms at the time <laughs> to spread the word, but it's a thoroughly um, creation-centered uh, uh, spirituality, as we will see, and totally unanthropocentric in the sense that um, it's not centered around the human condition. It's centered around the, the love that she finds pulsating throughout all of the universe, all of creation. So she's an amazing woman, but she was ignored as many women have been in history. Uh, But I think we're ready for her now because we have a women's movement. I mean, here she was uh, a feminist 700 years before the word, um, because she talked in depth about God as mother and about even Jesus as mother. And the Holy Spirit as mother and feminine. And so she she deconstructs patriarchy. And um, so she's a major figure. And I think in a way, we weren't ready for her until the year 2021 in a way. So I'm glad we're having this opportunity to talk about her now.
1: I think that you mention in this book that she could be compared maybe a little bit to Karl Marx of the time and Dickens of the time. Do you recall mentioning that and why she could be compared to that in these times?
2: Well, because she refused to go along with the patriarchal status quo. and um, But she didn't just, you know, vent about it. She... Um, she offered an alternative. And um, that's what's so profound in her work. She's not the first one to talk about God as mother, but she developed that concept much more fully than any other writer until probably the year 1995 or something uh, with the feminist movement going on. So, um, and then she deconstructs patriarchy because she pulls the rug out from under dualism. And Rosemary Ruth, is a great. Catholic feminist theologian says that patriarchy is based on dualism. Body versus soul, matter versus spirit. If you can undo that dualism, then uh, the the wisdom can flow again, the wisdom of the divine feminine. And that's exactly what Julian does. For example, she says, God is in our sensuality. That's a quote. Well, that's enough to raise the roofs of a lot of, um, uh, what should I say, hierarchy. (laughs) <laughs> um, and she says that, that uh, God has has created us this beautiful union of body and soul. How different that is from, say, Augustine, who says uh, the soul makes war with the body. So he's not thinking in terms of beautiful union. He's thinking of a war. Well, that's patriarchy. That's the basis of patriarchy. It leads with war, beginning with one's own with one's own body and soul. So Julian just restarts everything. (laughs) History would have been so different if, for example, the next century when Christopher Columbus set out in 1492 to sail the ocean blue and brought this dualistic uh, attitude toward the new world, toward indigenous peoples who, quote, were not redeemed by Christ. And so they had to make war against them or something. If they had Julian's theology, which begins with the sacredness of creation, the goodness of creation, and God is present in nature, she says, then he could have sat down with the indigenous people instead of warring against them and had a discussion. You know, how, how do you train your young people to find their way in the world, to find their way in the universe, you know, to find peace inside and make peace outside? I mean, everything shifts if you Follow this dimension of wisdom and peace and bringing the divine feminine in and not just carry on holy war in the same in the name of uh, patriarchy and its empires.
1: I think that even today, I mean in recent time, you point out that um, Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict. He published something that said Christians should not learn yoga because right. it might get you too much in touch with the
2: body. Exactly, exactly. That's a that's a very fine example of, of patriarchal dualism. It's a perfect example. Yes. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So Julian would 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 not have subscribed to that ideology at all. <laughs>
1: Definitely. He also
2: says um, she says the church teaches that there's that God is angry. She says, I don't see anger in God. She said, I see anger in human beings all around me. She said. So, she's saying in our language today that there's a lot of projection going on when it comes to God talk. You see a lot of projection. We're feeling the anger, but uh, she doesn't find it in divinity.
1: Going back to like the dark night of the soul, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, in her time, which was tremendous. And so it's very revolutionary for her to, to not deny that, but to hold it in a different way, in a more holistic, in a bigger, bigger way. And for um for us today, it's it's quite the same because here we are. Uh there's so much going on that the, like with climate change, or with uh, the pressures to uh, the war on democracy, I would say, mm-hmm. and and uh, consumer capitalism, and all of that, uh, and and equal and inequality, and racism, and as we know, all of the the things that that are going on right now. So here she is talking about the motherhood of God. And as you say, it's she's not the first one to say it, but she really develops this. So let's talk about the motherhood of God or the divine feminine in God. Oh, before we do that, though, I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Father Matthew Fox, and he's the author of Julian of Norwich, Wisdom in the Time of Pandemic and Beyond. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, MatthewFox.org. Or you can also go to his special um, website, DailyMeditationsWithMatthewFox.org. And that's all one word, DailyMeditationsWithMatthewFox.org. Or you can get to either of those from the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm here with Father Matthew Fox, author of Julian of Norwich, Wisdom in a Time of Pandemic and Beyond. And we're talking about the motherhood of God and the divine feminine um, and the sacred masculine. So tell us how, how she holds this and what this means for us today.
2: Well, she says, God is delighted to be our father and God is delighted to be our mother. And then she applies. Um, <clears throat> she defines really what she means by motherhood. She says that motherhood is about compassion, and it is about uh, being near and being um, of service. And uh, she says this is part of the of God, the Creator, in um, in, in birthing the universe, if you will, and the earth. Uh, but it's also part of, of um, God, the liberator, if you will. Uh, being a Christian, of course, she thought in terms of the Trinity. But she, So she she addresses each part of the Trinity and brings a motherhood in. She said Jesus was like a mother because um, he was close to the earth. And she, and she talks about Mother Earth being uh, sacred and that he was teaching compassion. And, of course, the word for compassion in Hebrew and in Arabic comes from the word for womb. So is Rehem and Reham in in Hebrew. So um, obviously to talk about motherhood is to talk about uh, compassion and interdependence. And I think that's why the word is related to the womb. Obviously in the womb, the fetus and the mother are very interdependent. So it's almost an archetype for what interdependence is and therefore what compassion is. Um, So she... She um, she celebrates that. And again, she's balanced. She's not throwing the masculine out. But of course, she's presuming a healthy masculine. I don't think she's talking about uh, people invading the Capitol on January 6th with with, with killing instruments. And now and that untreated uh, anger um, that uh, showed itself that day, and it shows itself, today in our politics so strongly not just in America but around the world this striving for authoritarianism or something um that you know she, she has a gentle side to her that that does not um, fit and um her she says all will be well all matter of things will be well that's at the end of a book so first she recognizes the suffering and you know I taught a course with here with uh, Mirabai star who translated her book and a wonderful modern translation and Mirabai star really believes that if you read between the lines that Julian lost her child and lost her husband to the plague and her conversion experience if you will happened at the age of 30 so I think that's very very likely I really do because obviously this is a woman who's dealt with grief and and um, She was almost praying for her death at the age of 30 when she was sick. And she was so sick that they called the priest to give her last rites and everything. But then she had this breakthrough and these visions came in the next 48 hours or so came pouring out. So I think that she had a real grounded sense of the feminine. She calls it motherhood, but she calls it many things. She says a mother's love is surest and nearest and um, and deepest. So um, I think she talked about her own experience there as well. Yeah.
1: So as you were talking about uh, her own grief, uh, possibly that she lost her husband and child uh, in the plague, and and then she had her own illness, that she almost died. Um, and I am i know that you mentioned at some point in your book, um, Rilke, the poet Rilke. And one of his poems that's really um, very important to me or really informs me is called, it's a poem called Pushing Through. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this poem, but I'd love to read it because Great. I think it has to do with this dark night of the soul, mm. but also the redemption and the grief, uh, redemption of grief. It, he's, he, this is translated by Robert Bly. Mm. It's possible I am pushing through solid rock in flint-like layers as the ore lies alone. I'm such a long way in. I see no way through and no space. Everything is close to my face and everything close to my face is stone. I don't have much knowledge yet in grief. So this massive darkness makes me small. You be master. And I believe he's speaking here of you as a divine presence. Um, You be master. Make yourself fierce. Break in. Then your great transforming will happen to me, and my great grief cry will happen to you. So I that that poem just somehow it gives me hope when when things feel so dark.
2: No, it's a powerful poem, right? And uh, I think uh, Robert a wonderful job translating that. He used to say that. Rilke was the greatest poet of the last five hundred years since Shakespeare, and um, and that Rumi is the greatest poet who ever lived, is what Robert Bly used to say. Um, but that's a wonderful poem that you've chosen for this moment in history. I think because we are going through what I call the collective a dark night of our species. Even before coronavirus, I think we were with climate change and so much else. But now with coronavirus, it's on steroids. You know. Um, and I think that we, uh, we have a lot to learn. Uh, that's what the mystics say about the darkness of the soul. There's a lot to learn from it. There's a wonderful teacher from Hafiz, the, the um, Sufi mystic of the late 13th century, who says sometimes God wants to do us a great favor, turn us upside down, and shake all the nonsense out. <laughs> but most everyone I know, when they hear God, is in such a playful, drunken mood. Quickly packs her bags and hightails out of town. <laughs> so, in other words, the first reaction to the dark night is to get out, get out of town. But uh, what the mystics are saying, no, don't run, run, stick around, and because there's something to learn here. And I think that's exactly what Julian is saying. And and she's, it's not theory with her; she's living through the Black Death, and. Um, That's what's so powerful and it's so interesting that she turns to the goodness, to meditate on the goodness of nature. Whereas the culture was switching, we were shifting from a recognition of the sacredness of nature that was so prevalent in Hildegard, Francis of Assisi, Aquinas, Eckhart before her. Uh, But at this century, um, because of the plague, Everyone was shifting away from nature, and fear took over. Fear took over religion. And from then on, from Julian's century right up to today, the dominant religious motif has been, are you saved? In the sense that the fear of hell, the fear and, and the leading with redemption of the human, instead of with, you know, the Bible begins with Genesis 1 is a cosmology. It's a story of the unfolding of creation. It doesn't say a word about human sin. Humans come on at the end, and everything is called very good. Just like Julia, it's your favorite word is good, goodness. Goodness is God, she says. And God is a goodness in nature. God is a goodness in all things, she said. So the whole thing about fall and all that comes in the second and third chapter of the scripture. But you wouldn't know it for most of of Christian preaching since the 15th century, 14th century. So that's where Julian refused to go along with the mob. And um, so she was ignored both because she was a woman, her book wasn't published with the but also because she stayed true to this creation-centered tradition, which in Judaism is the wisdom tradition, which is the tradition we know of the historical Jesus comes from. So her version of Christianity is much closer to the vision of Jesus, We talked a lot about the kingdom of God is already here. Look around. (laughs) It's pretty special what we've got. You know, do we have to wait until the whole world burns before we realize what we've got going for us here on on this planet?
1: Or or also um, Jesus saying, come as a little child. And uh, we know that, like, like, I think it's Rachel Carson really pointed out that Children have this ability to be in great awe and wonder.
2: Exactly.
1: And, and possibly that's what he's talking about is that.
2: Exactly. The via positiva of the mystics. And again, to return to goodness, you have to look for it sometimes. Hunt for it. And, and you can't live a life of wrapping yourself in woe and victimhood. Uh, for one thing, you won't contribute anything that way. And if there are great problems like climate change, it means we need all the energy we can get and the passion to um, rebirth the way we do everything, whether it's education or politics or economics or farming or our relationships, the media, all of it needs reinvention. Well, instead of feeling sorry for ourselves, we should get to work, you know? Yes. And, um, and I think that's that's the energy we need today. And that's certainly what Julian is talking about, too. You know, she she defines faith this way. She says, faith is the trust. And trust is a very important word for her. She uses it a lot. The trust that all things are in God and God is in all things. So her very definition of faith is about panentheism, how close divinity is. And um, that's one reason she can say that, um, that the mother... That God, the mother, is so close. She says, uh, we are carried in uh, she says, Jesus is our true mother in whom we are endlessly carried and out of whom we will never come. So she sees us as kind of carried in in Christ's womb in a way. And um, you know, that should give one energy to see the world in a um in a healthy way.
1: There's a well, who is it that said something about God? There's nothing between us and God or, That's or Julian. This, is uh, that
2: between between God and the soul, there is no between. <laughs> and I love that line from Julian. I just love it. Between God and the soul, there is no between. And remember, Julian is the first woman to write in English. She invented many English words. For example, the word enjoy is her word. She invented the word enjoy. It's a pretty nice word. To, be you know associated with for all time. Um, she invented the word wanting, O N E I N G. and she talks about that's what mysticism is—the wanting of God and the and the soul and so forth. And she talks about how our again our relationship with matter and spirit is one of wanting. These these energies have been won; uh, they're not uh, meant to be in conflict so much as uh, uh, to be in in um, communion.
1: I'm here with Father Matthew Fox, and he's the author of Julian of Norwich, Wisdom in a Time of Pandemic and Beyond. And if you want to know about his work, and, and he, he does daily meditations that you can plug into, and you can go to that website, dailymeditationswithmatthewfox.org. Or you can give there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Father Matthew Fox, and we're talking about the mystic and uh, Julian of Norwich. and um, going back to the idea of the soul and non-dualism of the soul. matthew, the the soul, the way we have we contemplated, it, it's so disembodied, but she brings soul into body, doesn't she? I mean, like when I think of soul, we think of something very amorphous and and Ari I don't know, airy fairy, <laughs> right? So uh, but she she treats it very differently.
2: Yes, she's very grounded, very earthy. Uh, she has an amazing passage. I've never seen it in any other mystic. She says, the goodness of God permeates us even in our humblest needs. Now, I think she was aware that the word humble and English, constantly the word humus in Latin, and humus means earth. So she goes on and she describes how going to the bathroom is a sacred act and how God is present in that. <laughs> and um, uh, so that's just one example of how she's she's talking down to earth. Uh, she says that when the time of our necessity comes, the body responds by opening Uh, itself, just like a well-made purse, she says, and then out comes our our waste. And she says, isn't this wonderful? God is working this. And of course, it's true. If you're going to be consistent, nature, if nature is sacred and nature doing its work is healthy and good and a sacred work, well, obviously having a a good bowel movement on a regular basis is part of health. And here she's celebrating it as a divine act. We're co-creating, she says, as a co-creation. Because nature, and and therefore God, and we are doing this together. And, you know, if you've had constipation problems, which an awful lot of people have in the modern era, um, uh, you you know what, what she's talking about. That uh, when you're not co-creating, when you're not um uh, defecating properly, uh, that, that that's a, that's a problem.
1: I think we can all relate to that. I, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Going back to the word um that you said that she uses a lot, and that's the word of trust. and i would I would love for you to tell the story you actually met the uh, Civil rights leader uh, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth. and um, he he really was a man of trust and and courage. can you can you tell us about him and how how he held that?
2: Yes. Um, Fred Shuttlesworth was the civil rights leader in Birmingham and during the civil rights movement. And unlike King, he was not educated a lot. He was a street minister, uh, but he was the leader. And he's the one who convinced King to fill the jail w- jails with teenagers because he said the adults have been in jail a month and they're gonna lose their jobs if you don't get out. We wanna keep the jails full. King did not want to ask that of teenagers, but uh, Fred convinced them to do that. And of course it helped win the day. Um, But um, Fred was very much a target for the Ku Klux Klan and the Sheriff O'Connor there. In fact, the Sheriff um, uh, arrested his two children. I think they were eight and 10 years old, put them in jail. And also uh, the Ku Klux Klan beat him three times with chains and, um, and they blew up his house and he was in it. But I was invited to come to Birmingham and do a dialogue with him on ecology and racism. This is a number of years ago. And um, before we did our thing publicly, we were having a little lunch together, sharing the sandwich. And I said, I have a question for you Fred. I said, where did you get your courage? And this was his answer. He said, when they blew up my house and I walked out alive, He said, I knew they couldn't kill me. They might kill my body someday, but they couldn't kill me and they couldn't kill the movement. Now he said, You may call it courage, but I don't. He said, I call it trust. So that was a tremendous um, education for me that the heart of courage is really trust. And um, uh, because here was a man who, who nobody was talking about when it comes to courage, but he had been through. Uh, was you know unmentionable practically. So that's that lesson has uh, has stayed in me for a long time. And of course the real meaning of faith is trust in the gospels. Uh, it's not about believing in a lot of doctrines and dogmas. that's not faith that that's Augustine's definition of faith when the Christians took over the Empire in the fourth century. but in Jesus language, the word he used means trust in Greek, pistouin. And so here we have Julian going back to the same notion that Jesus had and that Fred Shuttlesworth had, and that is that trust is a heart of, of faith. And um, it's, it, it's a revolution. Here. It's a real shift. And I find it in other courageous people. It's Sister Dorothy Stang who was a student, had been a student of mine and was assassinated, murdered, martyred in the Amazon, helping defend the peasants there and the rainforest and his peoples. She had this trust as well. I think that's what leads to courageous action and magnanimous uh, spirit.
1: Well, I'm wondering um, as you're speaking about like the terrible devastation in Birmingham, Alabama and Shuttlesworth and and then uh, uh, others, uh, it, how did Julian hold evil uh, that, that exists in the world? Um, what, what did she have to say about evil?
2: Well, she said that love overcomes evil, but it takes a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not um, automatic and it's not real, um, real swift. But she says that love overcomes evil. She says it is our nature to reject evil, and she says we're most held back by despair. And there's a lot of despair in the world today. A lot of people are mm-hmm. giving up on climate change and so forth by right? despair and acidia. And acidia is um, the lack of energy to begin new things. Is how Aquinas defines it. It's lack of energy, so it's it's depression, uh, but it's also a boredom. But it's also um, links to to despair Uh, uh, it's a spiritual sadness Aquinas says it's been defined as sloth or laziness but really um if you go deeper it's this lack of energy it's passivity it's couch potatoitis so Julian names acedia and or if you will couch potatoitis and despair as the primary doorways to evil um and I think that it's very insightful and very important. Uh, we have to look at what are the doors in us that let evil in and that let um, compassion out <laughs> and, and justice making. So it takes energy to carry on the struggle for justice to take on evil and, and injustice. And it takes energy to, to put love and compassion into the world. Um, there is a zeal involved in that, an energy. Now, Aquinas says something very interesting, and it relates to Julian, because Julian, I have no doubt that Julian knew Aquinas' work and Eckhart's work. Um, And Aquinas says, zeal comes from an intense experience of the beauty of things. And so that's about love, isn't it? The awakening to beauty. And so that's what you tap into, to... um, to overcome ascidia, to overcome passivity and cosmopetiditis. So Julian is talking about it. That's right. she talks about goodness so much. What is love except a response to goodness and a response to beauty? So it all comes together. It all fits um, her philosophy and that of Aquinas, on whose shoulders she's standing. I do believe that she had the Dominicans were strong in Julian's day in Norwich. And I think she had a Dominican as a spiritual director because she's so in tune with Meister Eckhart, who who died what about 15 years before she was born, and she's she's in tune with Aquinas. And, course, Eckhart was very much a disciple of Aquinas.
1: Weren't their, their writings suppressed? But they got you know traveled. That's right. to? Um,
2: Eckhart was condemned the week after he died, but the Dominicans didn't take that lying down. They <laughs> smuggled his works into Spain and into uh, Norwich uh, with a volume of John Toller's sermons. And John Toller was a Dominican preacher who was a student of Eckhart. He was younger than I but he was not condemned. So they put John Toller's cover on the book and snuck a lot of Eckhart's sermons uh, overseas with it. So, and then Thomas Aquinas was condemned after he died three times, but then they declared him a saint just a few years before they condemned Eckhart. So uh, it was in the 14th century, Julian century, Aquinas was declared a saint, and again the Dominicans, to their credit, kept uh, Aquinas' work alive even after he'd been condemned and was under under a cloud for like 40 years. Uh, so it's it's quite a story.
1: So, you, you mentioned like the love of, of the environment and love. And I'm reminded of uh, Thomas Berry, the eco theologian, who has said, uh, We will not save what we do not love, but we will not
2: love what we do not consider as sacred. Yeah. And so he says, You know, the future depends on our recovering a sense of the sacred. And for him, a sense of the sacred is begins with the universe. The universe is bigger than all of us. It is sacred. It is the, the nest in which our earth resides. And this is what makes the earth sacred, too. And here there's a wonderful teaching from Julian, and it's on the cover of, of my book. It's a vision she had where she saw a round ball glowing In her palm and she said what is this thing it was the size of a hazelnut she said what is this thing and the answer came to her and said this is everything that is created in other words the cosmos but she said it's so small and fragile could fall apart at any time and the answer came to her it is kept together by love what a marvelous marvelous Story and vision of the cosmic Christ, if we prefer the Buddha nature or the image of God in Judaism, that the whole universe is blessed with uh, the holiness of the Christ or the Buddha. The worth, it's sacred, and that's exactly what Thomas Berry is saying. uh, We have to get back to, to save, um, to save the planet.
1: So then, I would imagine like love and uh, goodness. Live uh, all the other stuff like evil and all of that other stuff. It, love and goodness is a much bigger universe than than the small evil. I mean, this is what's helpful to me, Matthew, is to ha- how do we hold evil? And and if I think of it as uh, well, it's just a small part of this bigger universe. Let's talk more about this in just one moment. I'm here. With Father Matthew Fox. He's the author of Julian of Norwich Wisdom in a Time of Pandemic and Beyond. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm here with Father Matthew Fox, author of Julian of Norwich, Wisdom in a Time of Pandemic and Beyond, and many, many other books like uh, Hildegard of Bingen and uh, works of Meister Eckhart and also Thomas Aquinas and uh, so many others. You're just a marvel in what you've been able to pull together for us to use in these times. And I want to talk about how Julian taught and lived in what's so dear to your heart, uh, creation-centered spirituality. So uh, tell us about that and how she lived in that way, even so so many centuries ago.
2: Hmm. Well, I think all of humankind, for most of its existence, lived in this context of nature and of creation and realized that we humans are integral to creation uh, and are utterly interdependent with it and that creation is bigger than us. And it is sacred that, uh, you know, we're not bringing the rains, we're not uh, creating the soil, we're not making the sunshine. you know, we, we, they accepted this. And this is so much a basis of indigenous religions world over and of course the shamanistic tradition which lasted for tens of thousands of years where certain leaders individuals were um, had ruptures in their in their lives that brought uh spirit and energy and new powers in so i think this is what has dominated human consciousness really until well until the black death in europe until the modern consciousness which no longer begins with the wonder of the universe uh and and out of wonder and awe comes reverence and gratitude but begins with the, condi- the human condition am i saved which as christopher stendhal said is a re- a neurotic question there's nowhere in the bible so where'd that come from it came from the black death the people freaked out uh, without science to give them any hope in the time of black death and again but julian represents this groundedness and the sacredness of nature. Now, she's not alone, you see. Uh, The Celtic tradition is that way. Hildegard of Bingen, who lived 200 years before Julian, uh, was raised in a Celtic monastery on the Rhine. She was German, but in the Rhine. The Celts settled all the way down the Rhine. Francis of Assisi who was born two years after Hildegard uh, in Northern Italy, but that was also peopled by the Celtic consciousness and spirituality. And then um, Thomas Aquinas, uh, very creation-centered. And um, and then Meister Eckhart, the same way, he said that uh, every creature is a word of God and a book about God. And Aquinas has said that, that, that there are two sources of revelation. Bible is one, but nature is the other. So this is creation spirituality. And it's also scientific. Hildegard says all science comes from God. Er, uh, Aquinas spent his whole life bringing Aristotle, who was the best scientist in the Middle Ages, who had come from, of course, he's a pagan, who had come from Islam, so he had two strikes against him. He was pagan, he was, he came by way of Islam, and he was a scientist, and the fundamentalist Christians then, as today, didn't want any science. They said every all the questions and answers are in the book, the Bible book. But Aquinas says, no, there's revelation in nature. And we have to study nature. And those who study nature, we have to listen to. Them. They call Zydas. He said a mistake about creation is also a mistake about God. So let's study nature and meditate on it. So this is a tradition of Julian Norwich. She's, she's part of a lineage. and But that lineage has been sat on, has been condemned, has been forgotten. has been up in the attic someplace. And that's what my life's work has been about, to bring it forward and name it. And of course, maybe in the nick of time, because the crisis we face as a species, we are facing extinction. Let's call it what it is. What's happening in the news this week, a whole town in Canada just burst into fire. It's gone overnight. And they're reaching levels of heat up there to to 117 degrees that are totally unsustainable, unheard of. And of course, two years ago, the entire continent of Australia was on fire. You know How many hits on the head do we need to wake up and to recover some gratitude for the earth when it's healthy before it's all gone? And that means we have to back up and start doing some, some well, I'd say, ascetic practices of letting go, learning how to create energy and transportation and all the rest in better ways. And it, I mean, I, I am flabbergasted that a whole political party in America, uh, just, <laughs> they just vetoed an uh, infrastructure bill, everything in it that was about climate change, they threw out. They just want roads and bridges as if it was 1950. They don't know there's a climate crisis. Everyone else knows there's a climate crisis. Every day there's, there's a, the coronavirus is related to climate crisis. The collapse of this building in Miami is very likely related to the rise of the seas in in southern Florida and climate crisis. So, denial is so dangerous. You know, Aquinas says to choose to be ignorant of something important is a mortal sin. And to be, therefore, to choose to be ignorant of climate change. (laughs) Now, what's a mortal sin? It means it's deadly to the soul and it's deadly to the community. It's, it's opting for death, not life. That's, that's what denial of climate change is. And I can't believe we have a whole political party that still wins elections based on the denial of climate change. What, me worry? Well, what's going on here? Well, denial is so powerful. It's a choice to live in in uh, falsity, in, in untruth. And um, it's going to kill us. You know, if we can't get our acts together as a species and as countries and, and all the rest, you know, we we are definitely on a path to extinction. There's no question about that. We yes, yes.
1: Well, I'm going back to the question, am I saved? And those people who would equate life is, is about getting to some other place to go <laughs> to heaven or whatever. and And rather than... Loving Mother Earth and to be joyous in her creation and her holding us and therefore we do our best to hold her that that's a much better way forward than to say, okay, I'm just going to give up and someday I'll go to heaven, hopefully you know
2: yeah, well, first of all, giving up is when as Aquinas says it's, it's moral sin, that means you, yeah. know, you can go to heaven if you don't yeah. change your ways. When Christ says there are two resurrections, the first is waking up in this lifetime. So, if we wake up in this lifetime to the kind of things that Julian is talking about, that Jesus was talking about, that Buddha is talking about, and so forth, um, then you don't have to worry about what comes after this lifetime. But in all traditions of the world, there is a responsibility in this lifetime to learn compassion and to be compassionate. That's exactly what Julian is saying by stressing the motherhood of God. And of course, Jesus' words, be you compassionate is creating in heaven. He didn't say get to heaven <laughs> and and um, leave a mess behind for future generations. No, a part of loving, he did say love your neighbor as yourself. Well, part of loving your neighbor is, you know, to leave a healthy planet for their children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren as for your own so I and and your neighbor is not just human human neighbor our neighbors are the forests and the soil and the rivers and the oceans and the trees and all the rest, and the animals and the birds they're our neighbor too, of course, and they deserve our love. This is why Jesus said, preach the gospel to all creatures that um there's there's um, you know there's meant to be love between us all, so Each religion, I think, is trying to say these same things. The Dalai Lama has said that we can do away with all religion, but we can't do away with compassion. He said, compassion is my religion. That's what Julian is saying. By calling God mother and and compassion, um, she is calling us to compassion, like Jesus did, like Muhammad did, and, and like black elk does. So...
1: And if we think of the word compassion, it's with passion. So it's just the opposite of being lethargic and and just couch (laughs) potatoists.
2: Exactly. Right. There's a passion there, passion with compassion and passion with others. And a passion to undo evil or undo the unjust structures uh, that allow um, suffering to to multiply. It's, It's not esoteric. And it's not, um, you don't take a PhD to know this stuff. In fact, a lot of PhDs don't know it. <laughs> They're in the same patriarchal, a uh, fisticuff, reptilian brain uh, world that uh, has been going on for thousands of years and empire building and the rest. So um, the point now is that time's running out on our species. You know, we could pretend that, oh, it's, it's down the road, it's down the road. It's not down the road, but whole villages in Canada, in no. Canada of all places, That's go right. up, disappear overnight, go up in flames because of heat, or of course, the hurricanes and so forth, that are coming earlier and, and more frequently and, and be stronger. Down and the
1: stronger, south. yeah.
2: So, you know, it's you have to have your head thoroughly in the sand to ignore what Julian's talking about.
1: I want to thank you so much, Matthew, for being with us today on New Dimensions. Thank you. I've been speaking with Father Matthew Fox, author of Julian of Norwich, Wisdom in a Time of Pandemic and Beyond. And um, also um, the co-author of Order of the Sacred Earth and Intergenerational Vision of Love and Action. And you can go to his website, MatthewFox.org. That's one. but you can also go to his daily meditations, which might be wonderful to tap into, especially at this time to receive some encouragement to keep on keeping on with the good good fight uh, to help the planet and all of our fellow species and livingness. Uh, and that's um, daily, MeditationswithMatthewFox.org, Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3736.
0: New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions.